Welcome back to Drive Your Thoughts Podcast. I'm your host, Master Coach Carrie Marshall, and it's time to go after those goals. Yeah, whether ready or not, life's coming hard, no breaks, no stop. And if you put me on the spot, don't get it twisted. I never drop. If you feel a bit out of control and out the box, here's a way that you can drive your thoughts. Turn this podcast on, it's a lock. Carrie Marshall. I'm so thrilled for this week's episode. I get to have on the podcast, Jocelyn Harward. Now, Jocelyn and I got so excited about talking to one another that we absolutely just jumped right into the conversation and I never actually introduced her. So please allow me before we start to introduce my friend, Jocelyn Harward. Jocelyn is known for building a $100 million company. She has a background in international trade and now she gets to have the amazing job of helping women in business. She loves and has a passion for helping women become financially fearless. And I have learned so much from her. We first met at a networking event and have just really learned from each other. And so I'm excited for you to hear this conversation today with Jocelyn Harward. I remember the last, I think it was the last time you and I were together you said we were talking about what we wanted, right? We had written it down on a piece of paper at a networking event that we were at. Yeah. And I remember we were going around and I said on mine, I said, I want like a, a pink Lamborghini. <laughs> and I remember you go, you were right next to me. You go, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then when you, we got to yours, you said, I want peace mm. and I want love Yeah. and I want my children to be safe. Yeah. And, you know, I was like, I kind of looked at you and you looked at me and I was like, <laughs> I think mine's off. <laughs> and you said, you said something like, you know, you, you want what you want, but I'll tell you from not the pink Lamborghini, but from having all the things mm-hmm. you told me you'll get there yeah. and you'll want peace yeah. and love yeah. and safety. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was a point there was a point in my life, so this was um, well a year ago because it's February, isn't it? So a year ago, I have I have the Instagram worthy life, right? I have the big house on the hill that's all Italian marble and has all the views, right? We've got uh, we've got the vintage car, we've got the Hummer, we've got that Alpha, uh, we've got. Lamborghinis, the day I like the daily drivers are exotics. My kids are being picked up in the Porsche. Like we had all the things, the houseboat, the parties, the awards, the the social media influence. We had all the stuff. And that wasn't it. It still wasn't it. It didn't even matter. You know, it was it was almost more lonely mm-hmm. having all the things and still sitting in the big bedroom being like, wow, I'm still just really lonely here. And what do you think feels so lonely about being in that successful place? Because I do have a lot of clients that feel that way. Yeah. They feel like they throw the big party and a lot of people show up, but they're, they're alone. They're, they feel really lonely at that party. Yeah. I feel like maybe what it is, is there's this attempt to connect to other people via the stuff and things. Mm -hmm. And 
it's really easy, I think, to confuse the dopamine that comes with success and achieving things and and buying things and um, having other people want to be you and the dopamine that comes from connection and belonging. And I think it's really easy. It's almost like it's almost like it feels like love. But in the quiet moments, it becomes obvious that it's not love. You know, it's the it's the fake sugar in your coffee, not the real sugar in your coffee. Jocelyn, I love that example. <laughs> that is perfect, though, because I do think that that I was just going to ask you, well, what's the difference between those two dopamines? Yeah. And it's the pure love versus, like you said, that artificial love that's coming into your life. Yeah. So, so like you said, you kind of had all of this and not just the stuff. I mean, if we looked at it from a business perspective, um, tell us a little bit about where you were at business wise. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so the company that I started on my coffee table, um, was now had just hit 10 years and it was doing a hundred million. And that nine figure number is hard. There's not a lot of entrepreneurs who've hit the, who've hit the nine figure club. Um, the company I had before that had done eight and the one before that, well, in the middle of that had done six and there's a lot going on when you're the owner of a company that's at that level, because it's fun. I love small business because it's me and my team and we're pulling it together and we're accomplishing stuff that we're like, wow, that shouldn't have worked. But then the business becomes kind of its own, its own ecosystem, right? I have directors and executives and middle management, upper management and lower management and entry level and satellite offices and all this stuff going on. And, and now moving the needle 2% is not as fun, but it matters in the money. Now 2% matters in, you know, the hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's not really as much fun chasing the 2% as it was the 50%. You know, now it comes down to a lot of the fundamentals and, and muscle memory, stuff like that. And it's, it's, uh, busy, but I think for an entrepreneur, it's maybe less even fulfilling because we like that. We like that, that shouldn't have worked feeling and that like being, um, that little chip on our shoulder of being discounted and disbelieved. But when you have everything to show for it, like people believe you anymore. And it's almost like less fun, honestly. Right. Like you said, that 2% just doesn't matter as much, even though maybe money wise, it makes all the difference. Yeah. So, so like you said, you kind of got to this place in your life and you were lonely. Yeah. 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 My, so I was in a 14 year marriage and we were business partners as well. And we had let that that business partnership and that accomplishment of the stuff and things and business and, um, you know, the, the, the smashing really big goal stuff, we had let that become the binding chemical between us, not the dopamine with the serotonin, mm-hmm. right? And those, that matters in a relationship. And the stress that a marriage carries already combined with the weight of you stack a business on top of it, um, you stack hobbies on top of it, you stack the management of the money and the properties and the all the stuff on top of it. The weight, we were very public 
couple. And so the weight of having everything need to be like, you know, camera ready and camera pretty all the time, like it was a lot. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't, it was attempting to fill a void that really just needed, it didn't need more flashiness. It needed more silence and solitude. It needed a lot more solitude. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it did. It needed a lot more introspection. And um, we had gotten into the habit of asking each other, what do you think? What do you think? And not, how do you feel? And so that emotional part of it, that was not there anymore either. Everything, we were really great roommates and we were really great business partners and we were really great co-parents. We weren't a great couple though. And that right there, having the primary pieces of your life be wrapped up in your business, which so many entrepreneurs, we are so guilty of this. Mm-hmm. We hire our friends and our family and we're like, man, I just want to hang out with my people. Like, I'm just going to create a business where we just get to be together. It's like, yeah, it's good until it's not. Mm-hmm. Because then everything is tied up around how the company did that quarter. Yeah. You know? And the business. And yeah. 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 Yeah, there's no identity outside of it. Yeah. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs, when we hit that stage where we've done it, you know, we've arrived, we're, we're like you say, like in our 30s now. And it's like, well, what am I if I'm not the person building this business? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the loneliness. Well, and like you said, when we've hired our friends and our family and all of this, then we also take on this uh, a big load of now it's not just my friends, you know, having that relationship of, oh, we're friends, but um, it's their paychecks and their livelihood. And so it, it does, it wraps up a lot when we start to see that everything is involved in the business. Yeah. And like you said, our relationship with our spouse then is the, is there stress in the business? Then there's probably stress in the home mm-hmm. because we don't have that space So you kind of start to feel this. What were kind of your signs that maybe you were wanting more of this wasn't working anymore for you? (laughs) Um, My body was talking to me. My body had been talking to me for a while, but I was blocking it out all the time because it was the it was the productivity. Right. I was blocking my body wisdom with stuff to do and things going on in a full calendar. Productivity. Yep. And that thinking, right? Mm -hmm. We override our actual body with our brain by saying like, we've got things to do and we're really successful. And, and so your body had been kind of giving you signs and, Mm -hmm. but just hadn't been listening. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was operating at this like superhuman level. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't if it came down, it wasn't if I hit the wall at a hundred miles an hour, it was when, And my body was, um, it was all over the place. It was um, dehydrated and it was sore and it was, I was, man, I was drinking to come down and I was doing coffee to come up. I literally called it coffee up, wine down. And that was like my methodology. My self-harm from childhood came back with an absolute vengeance one way to like release the tension all the time, you know, um, I wasn't sleeping like at all, uh, nail biting, um, man, just, just general, like unhealthy, you know, when you see someone after they've been 
through something really hard in their life, you know, the loss of a loved one or some big life transition. I was basically like that, but for like years. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty funny now running into people post healing my body from that, from that messaging it was giving me. Um, Cause they're like, wow, you look so good. And it's like, I, I'm just actually back to baseline, yeah. you know, like my body is just at a more, <laughs> at a yeah. more, what's that? What's the pH level alkaline? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I remember one of my clients telling me, she said, it's really easy to mask what my body's telling me with done nails. Yep. Um, Fake lashes, fake lashes, my makeup and hair done professionally. And so, and then she said, and a wardrobe that will dazzle anyone that knows exactly what a wardrobe is supposed to look like (laughs) at this level. And so she said, it's really easy to, um, to hide and mask that. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. So she said, but then everything comes off and I'm the only one that's left in the mirror. And that's when it gets scary for me. Oof. Oof. Man, that's a feeling, isn't it? Right. Everything comes off because it is, it's like armoring up, isn't it? Okay, we're going to muscle through. And that was the thing. Push through, work harder. Nobody cares. Work harder, hustle more, right? Yep. Get the award, right? Because yeah. I know that your company won several, several awards or get the next million or yep. hit the next, you know, yep. big goal. Yep. And it was always about the next thing. Mm-hmm. It always was. It was because that's the problem is it's never enough, mm-hmm. right? And getting quiet, this, the messages I was, I was, I mean, the signs that I had that this was not it was, was the fear of the quiet, like she's talking about, and my body's messaging to me. It was funny because after, after basically, so a year ago, basically everything hit the wall. And it was like my body couldn't keep up anymore. My relationships couldn't keep up anymore. Like the the things I had been running away from and the black holes I'd been trying to fill, they finally caught up with me. And having to just go inside of myself and be like, okay, what does it feel like? to be here? What does my life get to feel like without the stuff and the things? And that was totally part of it was like this. I don't even know what my real hair looks like and being like, okay, so no hair color. I don't even know what my eyelashes look like because I've had these fake lashes all the time. Okay. None of those. And having to take that piece by piece by piece, right. And say, so what does my life, not what do I think my life should look like, what do I want my life to feel like? What did that what did that feel like in that very first moment that you actually decided to allow yourself to listen to your body and feel it? It was scary. It was scary to the point that I was having panic attacks because the anxiety would just force me out of my body. It was funny, actually, my therapist, she's the one that told me, she said, your brain can't tell the difference between physical pain and emotional pain. Your brain thinks it's the same thing. And so my brain kept trying to leave my body because it was in pain, because it was so painful to just be quiet and alone and have to really look at myself without all the, all the armor up and all the things to do. And, um, (sighs) And it also was a relief. It was a big relief 
because it was also like, wow, I don't have anywhere to be. I don't have anyone to please. I don't have to show up for anything or anyone or any, there's no cameras on, there's no anything. And so it was also a massive relief to just finally get to set everything down Mm -hmm. as well. And it's like, you wish, or I wish everybody could understand what it feels like to be on the other side of that. But man, I really don't wish the process of going through that on anybody because it's really hard and it's very scary. And that's really where I think probably people find themselves. They come back with the thing that they actually wanted that they were looking for in an unhealthy way before. Mm -hmm. Because the things I loved about the big house and the business and this, you know, all of the toys and everything was that uh, it gave me a place to gather the people I loved. Right. Right. Like that, that was the purpose. The toys were fun because I got to go out with my friends and go, we would go to the sand dunes and that was a blast. And we would go to the houseboat in Lake Powell and we'd get to hang out for a week with no cell phone service. Like that's why I liked it. Yeah. Going yeah. into the business, I got to every day hang out with people that were, you know, my friends. They were my my community. Mm-hmm. So really that's what it was about. And I think everybody has to figure out why, what what emotion am I trying to attain with this company as the founder and builder of this company. And mine was belonging. Mine was community. And I know that a lot of people will maybe feel that way. You know, like you said, like hundred miles an hour, I'm going to, going to hit the wall. But I know that a lot of people pull back mm. because they're afraid of being alone, of seeing what they're really made of. What do you think helped you to just say, I'm, going to do this process because I know that the process wasn't a weekend Mm -hmm. oh my gosh yeah no (laughs) so how how did you stay courageous through that in order to find who you were on the other side Mm. and not just go back the other way well the very first thing I worked on was secure attachment to myself because it became obvious that my attachment was to everybody else and everything else there, it takes such a high level of self-abandonment to um, hunt at the level that I was to, to push my body past its limit all the time like that. That's a lot of self-abandonment. And the first thing was to really want secure attachment to me. The second thing was trusting my body's feedback to me. It was so confusing to be like, okay, I'm walking away from this thing and that thing and these people and this lifestyle and this identity and career, but then to be seeing my body get better, to see me quit craving alcohol, quit craving sugar, to not even want to self-harm, to have hands that were still, to be sleeping. I was sleeping eight hours a night, like repeated nights in a row. I don't even remember when I did that yeah that was huge that's a huge one (laughs) like maybe high school was the last time I had multiple nights in a row of eight hours of sleep like it was all of these signals from my body that this was physically healthier for me and really trusting that that body wisdom coming in right there 
and it telling me like, this is good. Keep going, keep going. Um, and it was also very confusing. It was hard because it was like, wow, I'm getting this one message from myself. But then also like, you know, my, my brain and my heart is also over here. Just like, what are you doing? What is happening? Why are you doing this? And society is playing into that as well, right? Like we have this thing that healthy is that, like you said, the, all the things and all the parties and all the, and like you said, to be able to see that that's not it. Like your body's actually responding to quiet and solitude and, you know, cutting things out and then probably slowly introducing people or things back in Mm. and knowing that some of those would never come back. Yeah, uh, for sure. It was, it was wildly painful to realize who was good for my nervous system and who wasn't because it was absolutely not the people that I would have picked previously had I had to say who's good for me and who isn't. And, um, that was incredibly confusing incredibly confusing but it was again back to just that that feeling of peace and safety like safety became such a big word um because it feels so unsafe to have everything that you've known for so long for you know for all your life all start to fall away like you it's just you feel wildly unsafe all the time Mm -hmm. and it was like okay do I feel safe in this relationship. Yep. Okay. They get to stay. Do I feel safe? I don't know. Then that's a no. Mm-hmm. I don't know is a no. I love that you say that. I don't know is a no. And I think that that's where we get confused sometimes is that we think that I don't know. Sometimes people spend more time mm-hmm. <laughs> instead of saying like, I don't know is a no. I always say it's either a hell yes or a hell no. Yep. There's no middle ground within our body. Yep. And I love that we can start to actually find that for ourselves mm-hmm. because our bodies do not, they, they aren't sitting on the fence with anything, mm-hmm. but we can override it. Mm-hmm. We can go head on into things that, and people and relationships that aren't, that aren't healthy for us. Yeah, for sure. Well, and also a, a big trap that entrepreneurs I think get stuck in is we say, I'm doing this for my people. Oh, and that's wow, it's big. Ooh, that's a really rough lie to look at because it's like, really? Because is that what your people want from you? Mm-hmm. Is for you to like feed them and shelter them and make sure they have health insurance and stuff? Like, is that really what your friends and family want from you? Or is that what your employees want from you? Mm-hmm. And making sure that you understand that they're, they're not the same thing. Well, and as moms, I think that that's a big one. Mm. You know, I noticed a couple of years ago, really pushing after a money goal and then noticing that I was abandoning some of the things that were meant the most to my kids, Oh yeah, you know, like um, spending time with bedtime and being able to read to them, like those types of things that I was like, and when we hit this, then, Mm -hmm. and I remember my daughter saying one night, like, I don't know if it's worth waiting for that in order to get this. Mm -hmm. And she said, I just want you to read. (laughs) And that like broke my heart, you know, that I was like, wow, I justified it by saying, well, then you'll get the fun mom and this. And she, and basically when I walked away from that, that interaction with her, I said, the interaction that she wants and craves and desires costs nothing. Yeah. 
we could we could live anywhere. Mm-hmm. We could live in a tent and we could still have an interaction where we would be able to snuggle and read a book. Yeah. Yeah. Aren't kids the best for that? They yeah. are so good. Such good insights because I think that they haven't been taught most of the time. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of kids have a lot of trauma, but they haven't been taught how to go against what feels good. Yep. And yeah. so that was like the most pure, like, I don't know why you're doing that. Cause mm-hmm. all I want is for you to lay here and read with me. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I went through a process of, of, of finding my value system. Um, there's actually a test that my um, therapist had me do my psychologist. Um, and it's actually on psychology dot com I'm pretty sure psychology today.com whatever that website is and it's a value systems test and once I did that value systems test and really was like oh this isn't because it's not the same as like like people do personality tests yes. and they know their yes. color and they know their you know all these things it's like no 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 like this is hitting at the core mm-hmm. of why you do the things you do from an emotional level And looking at that and looking at everything in my life through the lens of, do I value this? That made it easier for things to fall off the list and for things to be brought onto it. And one of the things that really hit home for me was I wanted to be emotionally attuned to my children. And I couldn't do that when I was always in a triggered, anxious state when I, when I had a nervous system that was always looking for an escape or needed something to bring it down or needed or up to, or up <laughs> or yeah. yeah and I couldn't I couldn't be emotionally attuned to my children while I was constantly somewhere else mm-hmm. basically right and that became a big thing was just this being attuned to me being attuned to the kids and it's funny because here I had provided this lifestyle for my children, right? They had a they had a house that they would roller skate in. We had slides down the stairs. Like we had everything that as an adult, when you look at childhood, you're like, oh my gosh, this is gonna be so cool for them. This is so cool for them. But it comes at such a cost that really when the kids and I left this, I, I called it the, um, the ice palace because it was so much, um, you know, like mirror and marble marble and glass and stuff. (laughs) And when we left this ice palace and moved into the home we're in now, it's cozy. And that's how it feels. It feels cozy. And they have just as much fun there. Mm -hmm. If, if not more, because they're forced to turn to their imagination and to each other for entertainment and not stuff, stuff, right? Yeah. Stuff that's always, always available. Yeah. Yeah, I had a lady once, um, this was early on in my career, and um, she was coming up on being, she was, yeah, she was coming up on being worth a billion dollars. She had this, you know, tons of property in, um, out in the southern part of the county, and she had all the things. She had the basketball court and the pool and the indoor, like, go-kart track and the bowling alley. Like, she had everything And I remember her turning to me. This was when I was doing um, international trade. And I remember her turning to me and saying, Joss, when you buy a house, just buy a house. She's like, don't buy the other stuff because your your kids are still going to want to go to the pool with their friends, even though you have a pool. They still want to go to the skating rink with their friends, even though they could skate. 
in your house or in your yard. And that came back to me after the fact, right? When I was quiet and it was like, oh my gosh, that's so true. Because kids don't care. They don't care. They just want to hang out with the people that they love. Well, they want to be in an environment that they feel safe and loved. Yeah. And that's that's what I've noticed with having teenagers now mm. is it doesn't matter what house they're at. Mm-hmm. It's how, how do they feel when they walk in the door? Yeah. And it doesn't matter whose house they're at. You know, watching my daughter be able to say, like, you can go anywhere. Yep. It's because we're welcome there mm-hmm. as a group and that we can have fun. I'm like, yeah, it doesn't matter there's a pool or the basketball or whatever in the backyard. It's, it's the feeling Yeah, comes all back to our feeling. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's probably the hack really for entrepreneurs is how, but how do you feel? But how does it feel? How does your life feel? How's your business feel? It's funny. You know, that saying, um, uh, people don't quit jobs. They quit bad managers. They don't quit bad jobs. They quit bad managers. I I think it's that's not even for for far enough into it because people don't even quit bad managers. They quit the way bad managers make them feel. They quit feelings. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I yeah, think so too. Because there's tons of people that have bad managers and love it because well, they love the environment, yeah. right? Like they're like, oh, so and so doesn't know what they're doing, but yep. they like how they feel working at the company. And yep. so I do think that it's feelings that people quit. Yeah when, when they're at a job. Okay. So let's talk about how you walked away and what you're doing now, because I, you know, you and I got to actually meet kind of right at your transition Mm. phase. We got to go to lunch and I was like, okay, what are you going to (laughs) do? Did I even know? Did I? Uh, I'm sure I spoke very confidently. uh, uh, Well, yeah, absolutely. Always. (laughs) No, you said, you said, I know I want to coach. But you said, but I have no idea what you said. I have a lot of, I have a lot of expertise, a lot of knowledge. I love business. Mm -hmm. Um, But you were kind of like, I don't know. So tell Mm -hmm. me a little bit about how you kind of switched and what that looks like now for, for your business. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I went into small business consulting primarily um, with a particular emphasis for women because I do have this crazy amount of experience. It's just crazy. Like I forget sometimes until like I go on a podcast or something and they do my bio and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's really crazy. Um, and what I f- have found is that I just love that spirit that comes with entrepreneurs and small businesses. It's just so freaking fun. And a lot of times they've got the thing, they got all the things, but they're missing just like one puzzle piece here, or they're missing one, you know, connection there or whatever it is. And so it's really been fun to come in to people who are running a small business who can't afford someone who's an executive. You know, I was a, I was a COO for so long and they can't afford that level of expertise, but they, they need it, but they don't need all of it. And so it's been fun to come in and just say, okay, well, what's coming up for you is, and then just kind of give them, you know, like a runway of what's happening or to be able to diagnose things. Um, And it's been really fun to do it with women because the thing that we get to dive into with women is their relationship to money. Mm -hmm. And really it's just their relationship to themselves. And I, I always tell them like, basically 
think of it like a personal trainer. Anybody who's hired a personal trainer or gotten into the fitness and diet space, what they're learning is what their relationship with food is, what their relationship with exercise is, which comes with mental exercise, right? Diving into this relationship that you have inside of your brain with your worth, with your, you know, whatever. And it's been really fun to dive into that same relationship with self, but the medium I'm using instead of the physical body is money. Really, it's finances. And that has been that that's been a real joy for me, especially too, because women are so community oriented that they always circle back and they always let me know how it's going, which is just that's just the best part. <laughs> so fun. Okay, let's talk a little bit about women and money because I do have a lot of women that listen to the podcast. Why do you think that women struggle with money so much? Ooh, okay. So, um, so I have this talk, I have this keynote speech that I give and the title is called Not Your Daddy's Company. And basically it talks about the generational conditioning we have received via the men in our lives um, and women, but really it hits on on this male messaging of needing to be more masculine to be successful with money or in business, right? Like, like how many women have been given this advice to minimize their family and their family, you know, like I'm having a family photo in their office or um, telling people that they have to miss stuff because they have kid obligations or whatever. And it's like this there's this messaging that you need to man up to make money, which I think is a horrible message. I, I mean, it's completely counterproductive if you zoom out. And so what I like with women is actually to flip that narrative and say, okay, let's actually talk about the strengths that you have because of your womanness, because of your femininity. Mm-hmm. Like what are the things that you are actively good at when you are in that space of woman, because, you know, there's a dynamic between this, this masculine and feminine thing. And it's, it's a topic that a lot of people are hitting on right now. Um, but for women, the messaging we've received has, has so much so far been about be something else to be successful. And a lot of us have that enoughness, Mm -hmm. you know, that not enoughness or too muchness going on. And so we're constantly having to like make ourselves a chameleon of something else so that we can raise money with investors so that we can hire the coworkers or the team that we need or, you know, any of those things. Yeah. It goes against what we were just talking about, which is that feeling, right? So as women in business, we're told that we have to be different, Mm -hmm. go against our intuition and go against those feelings that we're having like you said, in order to be successful. Mm-hmm. And I think, like you said, we've been just so conditioned to believe that, yeah. that then to have somebody come in and be like, listen, your values, yep. <laughs> who you are, being a woman, doing business your way is what is actually going to make successful, make you successful. I know even personally, it's scary to believe that mm-hmm. at first. Mm-hmm. Well, and I don't know how many women really have received the talk about, um, about, okay, so here's how you do taxes Mm -hmm. and here's how you read a bank statement and here's how you, 
um, look at look at assets mm-hmm. and appreciation and depreciation and like those aren't really things that are discussed amongst women to yeah. women by women mm-hmm. and luckily I had the type of father who did who was very that way I mean he he was an entrepreneur himself so he just you know packed me along and that was the plan um, but a lot of women that they, they don't get that I forget that because I have a mom that is we call her money penny, but she was, my dad was a dentist. Uh So he was, you know, doing the actual dental dental work, but my mom's an entrepreneur Mm. and my mom would sit down with my sister and I, and we had two brothers, but she would take us every month and we would have business discussions and we would talk about money and she would talk about, you know, investing. And so I forget that women aren't raised like that because that's how I was raised with a very, very financially strong woman. Yeah. And I just always think, wow, I need to make sure that that's the type of stuff that we're letting women know, you know? Yeah. I had one woman come to me and say, like just sobbing in a coaching session and say, I don't know the difference between gross and net. And people keep asking me and I feel so embarrassed because I have to look it up on my phone. And I said, why is that a problem? Mm-hmm. And she was like, it's embarrassing. I make money. I'm a business owner, other business, owners, you know, all the things that we tell ourselves, like you said, that as women, we're just not It's like, you've never been told this. Why is that a problem? But mm-hmm. we make it mean so much about us yeah. and that it should be something that we should hide yeah. instead of having conversations about it and being like, let's figure it out. Let's mm-hmm. learn. Let's, you know? Yeah. Well, and also like, let's be clear. If you run a household, you run a business. Yes. Period. 100%. I will die on that hill. Yes. A household has all the same things. Mm-hmm. You have clients. I mean, have you ever had a screaming child that you're like, I will do any. You're right. Because I will do anything to get this to come down. You have supply and demand. You have marketing. You have all of the, you have overhead. You have all the things that a business has, even just running a household. And it drives me absolutely crazy when I'm talking to a woman and she's like, I don't know. I've just been a stay at home mom for so many years. And I'm like, oh, honey, let's talk about how you've already been a business owner for so many years then. We we really need to make like an infographic about like, here's how the stay at home mom, like here's everything that you've done. Here's your business. And then let's do the connect the dots where we have the string. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) Because it really does. It translates so beautifully. Um, I have a friend that's, that's a stay at home mom, homeschooler, started a business. And she said, you know, I just don't think I can do this. And I was like, oh, you've been doing it for years. And then she started and she's like super successful. She's like, I've been doing it for years. (laughs) Well, and if you look at the statistics of women in business, so, um, there's a study by, um, by BCG that shows that women who are founders or co-founders of a startup on average, over the first five years, they make 10% more than companies that are founded solely by men. And it's like, well, there you go. Like 10% more revenue over a five-year span, that's meaningful in startup, meaningful. And all it takes is just having a woman co-founder? Like, yeah, done. 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 <laughs> done. Yeah. Yeah. So so you love talking about the this money aspect what do you think is the most surprising thing that women find when they're coaching with you, when they start to kind of do this money work? How much of the projects they have taken on are not actually even projects they like? 
because you know that saying, if you want something done, hand it to a busy woman. <laughs> well, usually clients that start with me, um, and usually they have several, you know, business businesses that they're doing or involved in or whatever. And, and, um, it's always funny when I say, okay, so which one do you want to do the most? And they're like, well, you know, this one makes the most money and this one, does, and it's like, no, 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 that's not my question. Which one do you want to do the most? And usually what's going on is there's this um, misalignment of value system versus should be, mm-hmm. you know, and would be. And and it, it transitions a lot into a scarcity mindset of like, well, I need to do this because I, I don't think I'll get this opportunity again. And it's like, oh, let's, we're just gonna, let's kill that one right away because yes, you will. If you want that opportunity again, you will have it again. But doing it just because you might not have it again, mm, that's never going to work. They say, what's that, what's that saying? You'll, it'll take twice as long to do something that you don't want to do. Yes. (laughs) It's so true though. And like you said, timing is everything. You know, I think that we do, I know I've taken that on of like, oh, but this might be the only chance, yeah. but then it never comes out to be the experience that I wanted Yeah, because it was the wrong timing. Yeah. 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 Isn't that so true? Yeah. That's the most surprising thing I think is they come to me and they're like, okay, I got this going on and that going on and that. And I think I'm going to like t- tell them, okay, you need to delegate and all this advice that they get all the time on the internet. And I'm like, uh, no, we're actually just going to pick the ones that are going to give you more fuel for you to be the powerhouse behind these projects and behind your business and get rid of the things that are just draining energy from you, Mm -hmm. regardless of their income or their That's a hard one. It is. It's really hard. Really hard, especially when we've, I know, personal, but I know that when you've got so much validation from work, mm-hmm. you know, to, like you said, be able to like say, well, which one do I like and which one's the most, it's so hard to be, which one do I like? I had to even sit with that myself and be like, oh, uh, mm-hmm. I think we had that conversation once at a networking event that we were at. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I have to change everything. And you're like, oh, have fun. <laughs> But you did tell me that you said, which one do you like? And I said, I don't know. And you said, that's your work to do right now. Mm-hmm. And that was hard. It was so hard because my brain instantly was like, I like, and as soon as I would say that, it would tell me, nope, that one doesn't make the most. Mm-hmm. And I, I, so that was a challenge to do. Yep. So how, how do you help women when we kind of start to go down this path there on their small business? What do you think is the thing that you tell women over and over again? Well, I, I think the thing that I probably say that I ask the most, I don't, I don't know that I, at least at the beginning, I'm not telling a lot. I'm asking a lot of questions Mm -hmm. and I feel like I'm that, um, meme from the notebook where, um, what's his name is saying, what do you want? But what do you want? Right. And that's kind of really what I'm doing is I'm just asking a lot about what do you want and what do you want? And that's a funny thing too, because women were not very good at asking, what do I want regardless of how it affects other people, right? Because we'll ask, what do I want? But then we'll wrap up everybody else's wants in our want because we do want 
the happiness of the people around us, right? Yes. We mm-hmm. do want the safety and security and everything of, of our children and of our, but it's like, okay, but regardless of how it may or may not affect anybody else, and we're going to let go of how it will, because you don't actually know, you don't get to make that decision for them. What do you want regardless of how it affects people around you? And that one is a real, real struggle. That's a that's a sit and meditate, go on a retreat kind of a question mm-hmm. because it's really hard to keep the fear quiet and to keep the scarcity mindset um, toned down, but without invalidating, you know, because I don't believe either in saying, oh, okay, well, that's not your passion. Kill it. It's mm-hmm. like, well, okay, you like you have a mortgage to pay. Like it's not quite that simple. Yes. But can we build a plan? Can we do a reverse roadmap for you that gets you to the place that feels the way you want to feel and start to put in action pieces into this? Um, And part of that is don't just set up the plan and then be like, okay, this is the plan. Send it, right? Because that's not that's not going to be helpful because what if that plan isn't even you get three steps in and you're like, oh, this isn't actually what I wanted. So I have to keep checking back into how do I feel? How do I feel? How do I feel? And something I give a lot of them is journaling. Mm-hmm. Journaling, journaling has been it. Journaling has been my lifesaver because I always start the entry with I feel today. I feel right now. I feel this morning. I feel and right there getting into that. It's funny because what I found lately, like in the last month, is I'll get into it. I'll start writing and then I'll be like, oh, and I need to, that reminds me, I need to, and I need to, and I need to write. Um, And it's like that distraction comes in when we're getting down into the really good stuff inside of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And now we've circled all the way back to secure attachment with you, Mm -hmm. you know. And when you have secure attachment with you, it's a lot easier also to chase the thing that feels good regardless of how it affects others and or regardless of the income or opportunity that it is, but it's work. And being able to do the work and know that when we're safe with ourselves, mm-hmm. we win. Yep. yep. Because there's no point that I've ever watched during this whole past year where you haven't been able to take care of your kids financially, you know, all of these things. And that's why I think that we all think, I know like worst case scenario for a lot of people is like, and I live in a van down by the river. Now we know that that's actually lovely. <laughs> that's like a thing now. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Know? No, that's, that's a all thing. Gen Z's doing. Yeah. Just living yeah. In vans. I know they're like, they're like, we are your worst case scenario and we're fine. But I think that that's the thing is that reminding ourselves that when we are safe with ourselves, mm. we win and it all works out. So mm-hmm. thanks yeah. so much for being here. This yeah. has been so much fun. <laughs> this has been fun. <laughs> so one of the things that I know about Jocelyn is that she is an incredible speaker, like one of my favorite, favorite people to mm-hmm. listen to. But how else can people get a hold of you, kind of find your work and what you're doing right now? Yeah, um, I'm honestly, I'm the most interactive on my social channels. I, I honestly am. Um, I have a website. You can go if you want to go read bios and, you know, see all the stuff and things. Um, that's financiallyfearlesswomen.com. But also you can find me, um, as you know, online at Bossy Jossie. 
uh, is my handle for everything. It's also my my license plate and my <laughs> all the all the awesome stuff. Well, and it really is. It's like such a delight. And I think that's actually where we met was on Instagram first, mm-hmm. the very first time, and then through networking events, which yeah. I know that you are once again, really all about community and, and being in really fun places. So um, definitely check her out. It's been so much fun to talk to you. Thank you so much. And we'll see you next time. Okay. Thanks for listening to this podcast episode. If you're ready to get in the driver's seat of your own life, you can come and follow me at drive your thoughts coaching on Instagram, or come and see more ways to work with me at drive your thoughts.com. Yeah. Whether ready or not, life's coming hard. No breaks, no stop. And if you put me on the spot, don't get it twisted. I never drop if you feel a bit out of control and out the box here's a way that you could drive your thoughts turn this podcast on it's a lock carrie marshall on the clock